want to add my welcome to you all. It's Thanksgiving weekend. It's good to have you with us, especially those of you that might be from out of town visiting family, loved ones. We welcome you to this gathering. I invite you to turn to the book of Exodus. And we are going to be giving our attention to Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. In the introduction to his excellent commentary on the book of Exodus, Philip Ryken writes, Exodus is an epic tale of fire, sand, wind, and water. The adventure takes place under the hot desert sun just beyond the shadow of the great pyramids. There are two mighty nations, Israel and Egypt, led by two great men, Moses the liberating hero and Pharaoh the enslaving villain. Almost every scene is a masterpiece. The baby in the basket, the burning bush, the river of blood and the other plagues, the angel of death, the crossing of the Red Sea, the manna in the wilderness, the water from the rock, the thunder and lightning on the mountain, the Ten Commandments, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, the golden calf, and the glory in the tabernacle. Once heard, the story is never forgotten. I've been praying that the book of Exodus Revealing to us a God who saves, revealing to us a God who delivers his people from bondage might be for us a story that is never forgotten. There's something else I've been praying that might not be forgotten, and that is the, the setting and the original audience to whom this remarkable book was written. We've said this before, but I want to remind you again that, that most scholars agree that Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Pentateuch, including the book of Exodus, to that generation of Israelites who were just about to enter the promised land. They were a people who had witnessed their entire previous generation die in the wilderness. If you, you ever lost or buried loved ones, you have lived what these Israelites have lived. The book of Exodus is addressed to a generation that had known nothing but wandering in the land in between. No purpose, no place, just total dependence on God alone for their provision and for their physical, emotional, spiritual, relational well-being. If you have ever lived through seasons without vocational clarity or relational security or sustained periods of unsettledness and change, you have tasted of the life these Israelites, the only life they'd ever known. That's all they'd ever known. 
But now they're about to step into a place they'd never been before. They're about to engage with people groups they had not known before. And like us, when we are about to cross over a threshold into something new, something completely different, there is an obvious mixture of eager anticipation as well as some degree of elevated anxiety. The people were aware of eyewitness reports of giants in the land. The place in which they were about to set foot was inhabited by hostile forces with grim and battle-tested warriors. They clearly understood that they were about to get into a fight. And because God was in it, they also anticipated miracles but not without setbacks. They could expect days of victory, but not without some losses. There would be, no doubt, times of joy-filled wonder, as well as days marked by inevitable heartache. And there's one more thing that they knew, this particular group of people. They knew something that would have certainly cast no small tint on how they heard and received God's word through the book of Exodus. Moses, the man who had led the prior generation out of Egypt, Moses, the man who was God, their God-ordained mediator, Moses, the man who had been a constant for this current generation, Moses, under whose leadership they had been born and raised, this Moses would not be entering the promised land with them. Moses would get no closer than the top of Mount Nebo, where he would get a long-distance view of the promised land. But Moses would not set foot in the promised land. The, the people to whom the book of Exodus was first addressed were entering the next chapter of their lives without Moses. New man, a new leader, Moses' apprentice by the name of Joshua would be the one going before them into their future. And it was into this particular reality that God gave the book of Exodus. It's a message that was intended to strengthen their faith at that pivotal moment. It was to put steel into the backbone of their courage and to engender assurance that God was with them every step of the way in this new chapter, in this new place, under this new leadership. Loved ones, today the journey through the book of Exodus that we began 15 months ago will come to an end. But the meaning and the significance of this epic story is intended by God to remain with us, to get things done in us, and as the text says, to do that throughout all our journeys. So now as an expression of our regard for God's holy and authoritative word. If you're able, please stand and invite you to give your attention 
to the reading of Exodus chapter 40. I'm going to begin in verse 33, the second half of, the last sentence of verse 33. I'm going to read through the end of the book, verse 38. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. May God encourage us and strengthen us by his grace through the preaching of his word. Please pray with me. It's our conviction and our confidence, O oh Lord, that it is through the scriptures that you communicate yourself in all of your grace and all of your fullness to your people today. And you do it by the power and the working of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we are trusting you now. We're trusting you now, trusting you again, trusting you because of the grace that you have given to us, that you will accomplish the purpose for this word among us and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. With these last five verses, the book of Exodus reaches a fitting and beautiful climax. It is a fitting climax in that in that the, the, the entire storyline of Exodus has been pointing, it's been reaching, it's been longing for this moment when the Lord himself would finally come and take up residence with his people. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, God said, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And, and that promise, that command was a reverberation of God's first promise that he made to Moses way back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, when he said, I will be with you, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and as the narrative unfolds, the expectation of the fulfillment of that promise of God's residence with his people just Builds and builds and builds and intensifies. In Exodus chapter 29, verses 45 to 46, God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up 
brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. And then, of course, God provides this detailed instruction for the place where he would reside, and not without some <laughs> poignant drama along the way, the construction of the Lord's dwelling place was completed, and now, in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 to 38, the time has finally arrived for the Lord to come and move in. Verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 35, The cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. But, but this climactic moment, it, it's not just a matter of fact. It is, it is of such wonderful significance that the text itself highlights it as the beautiful, the literary poetic context just makes it so really beautiful, wonderful, spectacular moment. The, the cloud, this cloud, it is mentioned in each verse in relationship to the tabernacle or tent of meeting. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Verse 35, the cloud settled on it and filled the tabernacle. Verse 36, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. Verse 37, if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out. Verse 38, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. The people had seen glimpses of God's glory before. They'd seen it in the pillar of cloud and fire that protected them from Pharaoh's army and guided them through the wilderness. They'd seen it in the miracle at the Red Sea when God was glorified in the deliverance of Israel and the destruction of Egypt. They had seen glory in the fire and the smoke on the distant peak of Mount Sinai. Moses had seen glory too, or at least the backside of it, when he met with God in the mountain. But, but neither Moses nor the Israelites had seen the glory come down to earth in all its radiant splendor as it did when it hovered over the tabernacle and lit up the inside of it at night with that fire, filling that sacred space with glory. And the text draws our attention it draws our attention to the fact that the glory that filled the tabernacle at that moment, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. It was a spectacular display of the radiance of God's glorious being. Phil Riken again observes, the God of the Exodus, the God of power who made the heavens and the earth, the God of justice who plagued the Egyptians, the God of love who kept his covenant with Israel, the God of truth who gave them his law, the God of mercy who atoned for their sins, the God of holiness who set them apart for his service. 
this great God was present in glory. When the people looked at the tabernacle, they could see that God was in the house. And with that, God's purpose to dwell with his people is now fulfilled. That's the meaning, that's the main point of Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 to 38. The Lord has come home. The Lord has come home. He's there now. He has settled in, and he is present with his people. Don't miss it. He's resident with his people by day, by night, and throughout all their journeys. My dad passed away in September of 2000. It's kind of shocking to, to realize that was to like 23 years ago. I am, I'm getting up there. There are, there are times, there are times when I still, after 23 years, suddenly and surprisingly find myself missing him, missing his presence in our lives. This time of the year, I, I suppose in particular when his absence feels more poignant. And I, and I believe that's in part because it was often during the holidays that my, my father would, he, he would work hours, extra hours, holiday hours in order to earn time and a half pay. My, my dad was a civilian employee for the United States Air Force. He worked at a, a radar tracking station about 45 minutes from our, 45 minute drive from our home. And, and it was at this time of the year, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, when the weather in north central Minnesota could become challenging. And it's, it's funny, I, I mean, I, I can just still vividly Feel the emotions of peace and joy and comfort and pleasure that I felt when we'd see the lights come drive into the driveway <laughs> and we'd hear the garage door open and we'd hear his footsteps as he entered the house. Perhaps your kids feel the same joy when you come home. Perhaps your parents feel the same joy when you come home. Same comfort, same encouragement, same effect when you come home. Because presence is a precious gift. Have you found the Lord's presence familiar enough, sweet enough, that though your world might be dark or cold or unsettled or your future uncertain, all is well. 
because he is at home in your heart. He's enough. The climactic ending of the book of Exodus is that the Lord has come home. And though a new chapter is about to begin, all is well. And there's no time when and no place throughout all their journeys when God is not with his people. And this truth is intended to function in a particular and a very powerful way in our lives and uh, in, in their lives and in our lives for at least, I believe, four reasons. And that's because the Lord comes eagerly, the Lord comes mercifully, the Lord comes purposefully, and the Lord comes faithfully. That's my outline for the rest of this sermon, beginning with the Lord comes eagerly. There's a, there is in the, in the Hebrew grammar here a note of promptness, promptness with regard to the Lord's coming in verse 34, that the work on the tabernacle and the altar and the gate is barely finished when the cloud of God's presence descends. Look again, this is that last sentence in verse 33. So Moses finished the work, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. One commentator observes that the grammar indicates a near impatience and urgency. Alec Matier writes, it is as though the Lord can't wait to come and live with his people. Have you considered that? Have you considered that even this morning, that the Lord can't wait to reveal himself to you. That the Lord can't wait to meet with you, to commune with you, to communicate himself to you. Just imagine how that perspective might change the way you pray and worship and give attention to getting ready to hear God's word. In the Gospel of John chapter 7, we have an account of the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is the celebration of God's coming, making his home among his people. And on that day, it says that Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. And you see, the, the promise of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit of God's people, this is a reference of God coming and making, taking up residence in us, making his presence real to us. It's about God's freeness and his readiness and his eagerness. He is eager to pour out his manifest presence 
to his people. I mean, just, just think of what Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen. 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask him? What is your perception of the Lord and of his disposition toward you? If you care, and if you come eagerly at the request of your children, how much more will your heavenly Father come eagerly bearing the good gifts of his nearness? On those days when, when I... When I wake up with the devil sitting on my face, and those days come frequently. Those days when my heart is cold, when my heart is dull, when I'm distracted, when I'm disinterested, I find it helpful to remember that in spite of my disposition, my heavenly Father is knocking and cannot wait to come and bestow grace, communicate his presence, pour out the treasures of his wisdom and his comfort and his encouragement and his direction. Loved ones, Jesus announced that the kingdom of God the dominion of God, the, the rule and reign of God, the active rule and reign and dominion of God has come. It's come. And so, engage in your prayer time expectantly. He's eager. Engage in praying for one another expectantly. The Lord is eager. Engage in worship expectantly because the Lord comes eagerly. Second, the Lord comes mercifully. Exodus chapter 40 verse 35. Verse 35, <laughs> at first, it, it, it just, it's just like trying to catch a curveball. You don't see this coming. You know, the work on the tabernacle is done. The cloud of God's presence comes down. The glory of the Lord fills the house. And then verse 35 says, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, wait, what? what? Wasn't it God's good pleasure to dwell with his people? Isn't what this whole thing has been about? Has the Lord come home, but is not at home to those who would come calling? Kind of like he's got the shades down and the lights off. It, it may be reading between the lines, but one gets the impression that Moses tried to draw near, but found that he couldn't. But there's nothing really new here, actually. Because Moses had never been allowed to enter God's presence 
without an invitation. In Exodus chapter 24, verses 15 and 16, you may remember that Moses waited six days before the Lord called him into his presence. Sometimes there's a wait. God knows why there's a wait. But what we do know, though we may not know why we sometimes need to wait, we do know that the white-hot intensity of the Lord's holiness never diminishes. It's important for us to remember that the Lord is sovereignly in charge of His own front door. But it's equally important to remember that God has mercifully made a way for us to enter in and to enjoy His nearness. Sinners, sinners are protected. We are protected from, the, from any lethal dose. Any lethal dose of His infinite purity on the basis of atonement. Through the shedding of blood. And Moses' invitation to draw near was not long in coming. In fact, that merciful invitation comes in the opening verses of the very next book of the Pentateuch. For it is specifically in the tabernacle where sinners could live in fellowship with the Holy One. And he is with them through Sin atoning sacrifice, which is essentially the entire subject of the book of Leviticus. And loved ones, today we have a better sacrifice, a once for all sacrifice. We come by the blood of the pure and spotless Lamb of God. It is Jesus who is the way and the truth and the life. And no one can enjoy the fullness of God's presence except through his sin atoning sacrifice in our place. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus shed his blood as a sacrifice so that we could enter God's presence. What mercy, what kindness it is, what goodness, what love. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that the Lord comes and dwells among us and within us. Do you find yourself wondering If God has the shades down and the lights turned off to you, well then preach the gospel to yourself again today. And if you need help doing that, make, su make sure that you have a copy of this little book, A Gospel Primer for Christians. We we have copies of this over there. I, I'm sure we've given this out before, so I'm sure that many of you have this. But if you don't have this, I just read through this a couple of days ago because that's where I was at. I just needed to know. Again, I can get in there. <laughs> and the Lord's waiting eagerly. In Christ, the Lord comes mercifully. Third, the Lord comes purposefully. He comes purposefully. God's never merely just hanging out. He comes actively. He comes dynamically. In 
according to verses 36 and 37, it was throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was taken up. So God's going somewhere. And in relationship with him, we are going somewhere too. God comes providentially. He sovereignly positions his people for the fulfillment of his purposes. Alec Mathieu again writes, The Lord was effectively among his people and present as the living God, not as though at their disposal, but as the sovereign one. In active control, care, and leadership, he was the same God who led his people in the tricky and testing days between Egypt and Sinai. This, this is the important phrase. They were to be at his disposal, not he at theirs. They are his to command. Loved ones, our God is the same God who led his people out of Egypt, through Sinai, and into the promised land. And so, a, a fitting disposition for us is to humbly, willingly, eagerly say, well, Lord, what do we got going today? We. <laughs> What's your assignment for me today? How would you have me to pray right now? Where would you have me to be engaged in your plans and your purpose? What have you got going? And how would you have me be involved? The, the entire purpose in building the tabernacle had to do with God's unchanging purpose to dwell among his people in order to, this is the purpose, to bring them into their promised inheritance. He knows the way. His guidance, his guidance was less something that they were to look for as much as something they were to wait for. Is that cloud of joy moving today or not? All they had to do was rest and wait and watch, keeping their eyes turned upward, fixed on the presiding and providential presence of God. Our part in living under the cloud of joy is to set out, stop, stay, or go as directed. And so the Lord comes eagerly, the Lord comes mercifully, the Lord comes purposefully, and then finally and fourthly, the Lord comes faithfully. Exodus Chapter 40, verses 36 through 38 are bracketed by the, 
phrase, throughout all their journeys. Throughout all their journeys. <laughs> that, is, that is such a powerful phrase. It, it's, it's so crucial for strengthening our confidence in God's faithfulness. Throughout all their journeys. Well, what about that unanticipated detour? Throughout all their journeys. What about that misstep, that failure? Throughout all their journeys. What about their disastrous and costly decisions? Throughout all their journeys. What, what about that setback and that apparent defeat? It's throughout all their journeys. Loved ones, in God's book, in God's book were written, every one of them, the days and the detours and the defeats and the disasters that were necessary to form us and deliver us to our eternal inheritance. And all those days, detours, defeats were written in his book before any one of them came to be. And therefore, the ground of our assurance and confidence and comfort and peace in getting there, getting to our in eternal inheritance, the way he would have us get there and the, the condition he would have us get there, it's not us, but rather his faithfulness. The Lord's faithfulness to his promise, the Lord's faithfulness to his own. And so as spectacular was the cloud that covered the tent of meeting and as uh, dramatic and it was the manifestation of God's glory that filled the temple and you know, the, these were just still, at that point in redemptive history, just little glimpses of what was yet to be revealed. Because as we come to the end of Exodus and as we come to the beginning of the season that we call Advent, we lift our eyes to the one in whom God was pleased to have all, all of his fullness dwell. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. Not, not like the glory of a cloud or fire, but the glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the dwelling place of God. Jesus Christ is our tabernacle. And as our tabernacle, He is full of the glory of God. And just as His glory is an even greater glory than the glory revealed in that first tent of meeting, so also the comfort of his presence is an even greater help to us on our journey. The Lord of glory, the Lord of glory, he is with us. His plan was not simply to save us by dying on the cross for our sins. He laid down his life that we might have a relationship that he might have a relationship with us that will last 
through all our journeys. Let's pray. It's on this last Sunday of the month that it's our custom to make some space, make ourselves available to pray for one another. And in light of God's word, and in light of this particular text, I'd like to invite you, if like, I'd like to invite you to come and be prayed for. It, it, it may be that that you have not because you ask not, and so if. If you're one of those for whom it, it just feels like to you that maybe God, okay, you, you, can, you can accept the fact that God has come home. God's in the house, so to speak. But for you, it seems like the shades are down and the lights are off. God's faithful, just not for you. And I'd want... I'd want our team to pray for you that God would make his presence real to you. Maybe you're one who's here today for whom the Lord's presence has never, ever been familiar. You don't even know what that is like. And you don't know what it's like because it wasn't true even in your own household. We'd like to ask on your behalf that God would give you a taste of his kindness. We would ask God to give you a taste of his goodness. We'd ask, ask God to give you a taste of heaven, a taste of his love poured out into your heart. And perhaps you might be one who feels like you're stuck in that land in between. You, you aren't where, it's just not where things were, but things aren't what they yet are going to be. And there's this, transitions are always harder than we anticipate. And you're asking, what is next for my faithfulness in stewarding all that God has given to me? You're stuck in there. And we would want to pray that God would move that cloud of joy for you and that you would be discerning of where it's moving and leading. Maybe you're one who doesn't have any desire for God. You don't hunger. You don't thirst for Him. Maybe you even realize that you know you should. Maybe you even want to, but you don't. Or you know you should, but don't. And you don't care that you don't. <laughs> but you care that you don't care. That's, with that little mustard seed, we'd want to pray that God would bless it and increase it and bear fruit of that teeny, 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 tiny little bit of faith. And of course, if, if your sins are separating you from God, we want to pray with you 
We want to pray for you, pray with you. Jesus died to save us from the punishment we deserve for our sins. And he died to save us and deliver us and set us free from the corruption and the enslavement that there is to sin. We'd want to pray for you. And we'd want to pray for you physically. We know that there's always folk here that struggle with chronic conditions. Maybe today, maybe today, under God's providence and sovereign wisdom, would be the day that you would experience some significant breakthrough. Father in heaven, for this dear people, pray that you would pour out by your Holy Spirit great assurance of your faithfulness, your faithfulness to all of the things that you've promised, and your faithfulness to your people. Be glorified by bringing us all the way into our eternal inheritance. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.